You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. So we will be in Psalm 84 this morning. Before we open God's word and read it, let us pause for a moment of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your house, for the opportunity to come together as a body and to worship you. Thank you that this is the day that you have made. Make us to rejoice and to be glad in it. God, we pray that you would inform our minds and that you would transform our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. We come to you now, we turn to you, we look to you for your word, for your will, knowing that you are ready to speak to us. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Shall we read Psalm 84? I need to turn there in my Bibles, too. My Bible, too. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's word. If you could be anywhere right now, where would you be? If you could travel anywhere, time and money not being factors, where would you go? If you could have dinner with anyone, if you could get together, get together with anyone, living or dead, who would you pick? Who would you choose? If you've ever been on a road trip or gotten together with a friend, been on a date with your significant other, and you've run through the topics that typically come up in the course of a conversation, you find yourself struggling for something to say, you can always turn to these icebreakers. And personally, I love these icebreakers. You can find out so much about someone by the way they answer these really basic questions. I won't take too much time here, but uh, for me, if I was to get together with anyone, go have dinner with anyone and pick their brain, I would pick Sir Paul McCartney. 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Beatles fan. Uh, matter of fact, one of the most amazing experiences, most amazing concerts I've ever seen my entire life, August 2nd, Target Field, August 2nd, 2014, Target Field, Paul McCartney. It was amazing. Let's get together. I'll tell you all about it. Another road trip game that you may have played is Would You Rather? You know this game, right? Would You Rather? Someone came up with stacks and stacks and stacks of these cards, and they come up with the strangest scenarios, these weird scenarios. Would you rather this crazy thing happen to you or this other really crazy thing happen to you? And they're just ridiculous, but they make for a good pastime. And the way people justify their answers to those questions really tells you a lot about them. In Psalm 84, the psalmist pours out his heart and gives us his answer to the most important would-you-rather question we could ever be asked. He opens himself up before God and everyone to share exactly where he would go if he could be anywhere he says plainly with whom he would, he would be if he could be with anyone. And he dream, draws up this dream scenario to illustrate his point. A day in your courts, O oh God, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. When we read these words, when we hear the psalmist explain his deepest longings within his heart were meant to lean in and ask, why? Just like your friend, when your friend tells you where they would go or with whom they would be if they could be with anyone, we lean in, we inch closer, and we ask in amazement, why? The psalmist tells us why. He tells us why he would rather take a position of low esteem in God's house than be highly esteemed in the eyes of the world. He tells us why he would trade all of time in any of the most amazing surroundings for a fleeting moment in which he could be near the presence of God. So why then? Because God is beautiful. The very presence of God is beautiful. You see, to the psalmist, to the author of this psalm, God is more beautiful than anything he could ever behold. He is, his presence is more moving and more satisfying than any other thing that he's ever had. This psalm is especially helpful for us because most of our days are spent seeking beauty, seeking rest, seeking comfort and security, significance or protection. Actually, let me be more specific. Most of my days are spent seeking these things. But Psalm 84 pulls us out of ourselves and turns us to God. Psalm 84 is an immense treasure given to us by God to redirect our longings for the only thing that will satisfy himself. Psalm 84 is a meditation on God's beauty and the blessings of God for those who seek him. There are a number of ways we can approach this psalm and study it, but today we will examine it as a meditation in four parts. Part one, a meditation on God's beauty. Two, a meditation on God's providential care. Three, a meditation on God's blessings. And finally, four, a meditation on the bridge to God's blessings. 
Each part of this psalm is meant to turn us away from ourselves and instead turn us to God, for it is only by knowing Him, who He is, and what He is like, that we can even understand ourselves and know how and where we might find joy and life. So let us begin in verses 1 and 2, which I call a meditation on God's beauty. The psalmist writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is no ordinary longing. You and I understand longing. We understand longing for a really good meal when we're really hungry. But we know the difference between that longing and longing for something that will stir your affections and emotions. The kind of longing that doesn't come from a desire to be pulled out of boredom. No, instead it comes from a desire to be pulled in to drama. This is the kind of longing that the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about beauty because beauty is demanding. It is arresting. It is the inspiration of every good story and song and work of art. And what we see here in Psalm 84 is that the dwelling place of God, the courts of the Lord, are beautiful. They are lovely. But why are they lovely? Is it because of the exquisite construction of the courts of the Lord? Is it because of the grand design of the courts or the majestic materials that were used? While there is some uncertainty as to when this psalm was written, whether it was written in the time of the tabernacle or the time of the the temple, we must acknowledge that both structures were beautiful. The tabernacle, if you're unaware, was the, the, the tent, the portable tent that God instructed the Israelites to build as a house of worship and as his dwelling place while they wandered in the wilderness. You can read all about the dimensions and the details of the furnishings of the tabernacle in Exodus. The temple, the first temple, was built by King Solomon, the son of King David. It took seven years to build, and it was ornate in every sense of the word. But the psalmist doesn't spend any time meditating on the beauty of the bronze pillars in the temple or of the scarlet-dyed yarns, the, the blue-dyed yarns, the, thing, the, the, the linens that covered the gates of the courtyard of the tabernacle. No, the psalmist instead shows us what makes God's dwelling place so beautiful is God himself. The rest of the psalm describes God's providential care and his blessings. Who God is and what God does is what beautifies the courts of the Lord. It is the character and the nature of God that is beautiful and it is his presence that makes beautiful the place where he dwells. Well, the author of this song Psalm begins with a declaration, a shout even, of the loveliness of God's dwelling place. We know that the longing he expresses is for God himself. See, this rings true with us, doesn't it? What makes a house a home? Is it its curb appeal? Its immaculate kitchen? Its jacuzzi and the master bath? Or is it the people with whom we live? The people with whom we make our memories? What makes for the best vacation? Is it the million dollar views? Is it the five-star dining or the people that we're with? Is it the far-off destinations and fancy accommodations? A little rhyme there. (laughs) Is it where you go or is it who you're with? The words of Psalm 42 actually complement what we read in Psalm 84. 
In Psalm 42, we see another instance of longing and fainting. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This first part of Psalm 84, this meditation on God's beauty is meant to redirect our longings for something beautiful. It tells us the truth that God is the source of all beauty and loveliness. That drama we long to be a part of, that longing within us to heap praise onto that which will deeply move us is found and fulfilled in God, the living God. Note the psalmist includes this qualifier, the living God. Now could that have been because of the the pagan peoples in the ancient times around David that had a God for every natural phenomenon that occurred around them, like in, in Egypt. You know, the Egyptians had a God for the sun and for the Nile River. Pharaoh himself was considered a God. There was a God for death. So what does that mean for us? We're modern people. We don't need, and we don't have all these silly, silly little false gods anymore, do we? We don't worship false gods anymore. We're, we're modern people. Well, are we so different? Culturally, what are the values and the virtues that receive attention and acclaim? Might those values be the gods of our culture? Might the influencers and the tastemakers of our contemporary society be the worship leaders for the things that our culture said are worth your time, your, your striving, your attention? See, I don't think we have any less of an idolatry problem in our contemporary age than the ancient peoples in their pagan times. No, don't we individually make for ourselves gods of money and status and pleasure? See, maybe you've heard this phrase if you've been around Connection Church for a while. Maybe you've heard it elsewhere. Your God is on the other side of your if. What does that phrase mean? This phrase... Is the, is the one that's pushing you to keep going to the gym to bench press X number times your body weight because the phrase says, I'll be happy, I'll be significant, I'll be secure if my body looks the way I want it to. This is the subconscious motivation for putting in all those extra hours at your work because you're, the phrase says, I'll be happy, I'll be significant, I'll be secure if I'm at the top of my field. This is the underlying belief that breaks down relationships. I'll be happy, I'll be significant, I'll be secure if I find my soulmate or if my spouse would simply fill in the blank. How can we get at the root issue and identify those gods in our life? Well, maybe the best way is to examine the patterns of behavior in your life and the the patterns of belief in your mind to test what is ultimately fueling them. Look for that phrase. What is on the other side of your if? The best way to maybe do that is to examine the way you use your resources, your time, and your money. Because these are the things we so often rely on to give us significance, security, hope, joy, and peace. Let me actually be more specific. These are the things that I often rely on for security and for hope and joy. But Psalm 84 corrects us. It corrects me and it instructs us to find joy and peace in the living God alone because he alone is worthy of all of your worship. He alone is the source of all beauty. He's worthy of the singing of your heart and your flesh. Verse 3 
begins the second part of Psalm 84, what I call a meditation on God's providential care. We read in verse 3, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. It may be helpful at this point to consider the human author of this psalm. While we can look to the heading of this psalm and see it was written of the sons of Korah, some biblical scholars, some preachers like Charles Spurgeon and John Calvin actually believe that this psalm was written by David. That the heading says of the sons of Korah just means to them that it was written by David from the perspective of the sons of Korah. Other commentators uh, take the heading more literally and they attribute its human authorship to these men, to the sons of Korah. But who were they? Who were the sons of Korah? Well, funny enough, 1 Chronicles 26 tells us that before Solomon's temple was built, King David assigned divisions of the Levites, the priestly tribe of Israel. He assigned divisions to different roles and responsibilities in the temple upon its completion. And the sons of Korah were one of these divisions of the Levites. And their role was, get this, to be the doorkeepers. They were literally to be the gatekeepers, the ones who would hold the doors open in the temple. So day in and day out, they would observe the place of the dwelling place of God. They stood in or just outside the courts of the Lord, and they would see everything that was going on there. And naturally, or of course, back in those days, things were a little bit different and buildings weren't hermetically sealed from the outside world. And so naturally, birds seeking refuge could build their nests in the eaves of the structure or even potentially inside in its rafters. So this is the picture that the psalmist is painting. God provides for and cares for the smallest, least significant things. James Montgomery Boyce was a pastor of a church in Philadelphia. And in his commentary on this psalm, he wrote, The poet simply saw birds at the temple, and his point was that as the birds made their home at the temple and were secure there with no fear of enemies, so may the people of God make their home in God and find their security in Him. This imagery of sparrows might ring bells for some of you. Maybe you're reminded of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. You want to turn with me in your Bibles, Matthew 6, specifically verse 25. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Later on in Matthew, Matthew 10, Matthew 10, verse 29, Jesus again turns to the birds as an illustration of God's providential care. Matthew 10, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. 
Part 2 of Psalm 84, this meditation on God's providential care is meant to give us supreme comfort. Once again, it is meant to turn us outward, away from ourselves, in order that we may instead turn to God as provider. Just as we rely on our own resources for joy and peace, we do the same things for security and for safety. I know I do. I look to my own strivings. I look to my own money as if it belonged to me anyway. I look to these things to provide a sense of security and safety. But Psalm 84 corrects us. It corrects me. In fact, it points me to this supremely comforting truth. God provides for and cares for the smallest, least significant things. Well, how do we know that? How do we know that apart from this illustration in this psalm of the birds making their nest by God's altar? Well, we can look back at Matthew, Matthew 7 this time. In Matthew 7, if you want to turn there, verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to good, good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, best of all, we can be absolutely certain that God will provide for us when we look to the cross. The Apostle Paul sums this up for us so well in Romans 8.32, that precious verse. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, us, with him graciously give us all things? Do you feel as though you must rely on your own resources for safety and security? Are you tempted to grit your teeth in times of uncertainty and buy the lie that at the very least you have to look out for number one, look to the cross. Put your faith in the one whose blood purchased for you complete redemption. In the words of the first question and answer of the New City Catechism, what is your only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to Jesus Christ, to God and to our Savior Jesus Christ. The third part of Psalm 84 begins in verse 4 and runs through verse 7. This is the part I call a meditation on God's promised blessing. We read in verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. John Calvin, one of the fathers of the Reformation, paraphrases this section of the psalm when he writes in his commentary, those are happy whose highest ambition is to have God as the guide of their life and who therefore desire to draw near to him. It reminds me of the words of another psalm, specifically verse 4 of Psalm 37, where David says, Delight yourself in the Lord, 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you understand the way of blessings as is described for us in these psalms? See, don't turn God and our worship and our service to him as a means to our own ends. No, instead they pull us out of ourselves and our own selfish longings in our hearts to replace them with a longing that God stands more than ready to fulfill. A longing for God, true fellowship and true communion with him, friendship with him. To borrow a word from Psalm 37, delight in him. Oh, the riches of the blessings that are to be found in God, the redemption and the restoration that comes from Him. Do you see that little phrase, as they go through the valley of Baca? Now, what is that supposed to mean other than a funny-sounding place? Well, some older translations say instead, as they go through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. Depending on the placement of one letter, one little letter in the Hebrew word that's translated for us, baka, its meaning me, might be more accurately conveyed, weeping. You and I probably don't have to think too hard about a time when weeping was very relevant in our lives. Unmet expectations, disappointed dreams, loved ones lost too soon. You don't have to think too long to identify a time in your life when weeping was very real to you. For some of you this morning, maybe weeping has been real to you in the last week, maybe even this morning. But what does this verse mean then? This, they go through the valley of weeping. What, what we, may we take from that? Well, this is the promise of redemption for all those who hope in God. This is the steadfast love of the Lord that is promised to work in a mighty way to reverse the curse of sin and death in this world and turn our sorrows to joy. This is the promise that finds its yes and amen in Jesus when Isaiah prophesied and when Jesus himself read in the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. There is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son, is the precious Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Holy One. We behold Him now as we turn to the fourth part of Psalm 84, the bridge to God's blessings. We read in verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, Look on the face of your anointed. How may the psalmist appropriate for himself the blessings of God? To whom or to what does he make his appeal? Well, he first appeals to the God of Jacob, his forefather, his prominent ancestor. He appeals to the covenant faithfulness of God that Israel would be the nation especially blessed by God. And he appeals to God's anointed, his shield, his mediator, so what was the blessing promised to Israel? 
Israel being the name of the nation that descended from Jacob, Jacob being the name that, uh, Jacob whom God renamed Israel. What was the blessing promised to Israel, to Jacob? Well, we can know that when we look to the promise God made to Jacob's father, Abraham. God told Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Well, how would this be? The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that in Jesus Christ, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What of God's anointed? Well, we saw that just a minute ago when we read the passage in Isaiah 61, the passage Jesus read aloud in the synagogue and attributed to himself, saying, The Lord has anointed me. What for the psalmist is the bridge between God, his beauty, his blessings? What for the psalmist is the bridge to the access of those, that beauty and those blessings? It is Jesus. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the one who came and dwelt among us. Jesus, who lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve in our place. Jesus, the anointed, risen, reigning King, of whom the anointed Israelite King David was meant to be a type and shadow of something greater. Like the psalmist, we approach the throne of God above on the basis of our mediator the sinless Savior who died and ever lives and pleads for us. Friends, this is the gospel. That through Jesus, we have access to the Father. We have access to the source and fullness of beauty. We can access his providential care. We have access to the richest of all of his heavenly blessings. We can trust in his promised redemption. Conclude now. With part five of Psalm 84, I said I would approach this psalm as a meditation in four parts, but there are actually five. And the fifth is a summary of everything that came before. We read in verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God then dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. There is a longing within all of our hearts to behold beauty, to be spellbound and awestruck, to be caught up in drama. There is a longing within all of our hearts for hope, for joy, for safety, for security. There is a longing within all of our hearts for redemption, for the sadness and the sorrow, for the pain and the hurts to be healed, for the injustice and the inhumanity the cruelty of this world to be made right. And there is a longing within all of our hearts to be reconciled to a God from whom we feel alienated. So where will you turn? Where will you turn today? Where will you turn tomorrow? Where will you turn on a mundane Thursday afternoon when nothing seems more real 
from the emptiness of this longing in your heart. Psalm 84 is an invitation. It invites us to come to the only one who is able to satisfy our deepest longings. It invites us to be like the birds and nest and rest at the cross, the altar where Jesus gave his life as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. We are invited to turn away from all we once held dear, all we had built our lives upon. We are invited to count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Will you trust in him today? He is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He blesses the one who trusts in him. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the source of all beauty, the source of all blessings, that we can look to you in your providence for care. Father, we thank you for your word, for the good news that is found there. Father, we thank you for the redemption that is available to us and promised to us in Jesus. We turn to you. We turn away from ourselves and the idols on which we so often rely. And we come to you, Father, because you are the only one who can truly satisfy these longings in our hearts. We thank you that you have purchased for us by the blood of your Son complete redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that we can be like the birds and that we can rest and make our nests at the cross, that when you look at us, you see Christ's perfect finished work because he lived the life we were supposed to live and he died the death that we deserve. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus, and it is in his name we pray. Amen.